Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. This morning, I want to speak about the topic, um, who is with you in the boat? But isn't it amazing to know and to realize that we're already in February? I don't know if you realize that. It's actually crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, I was still enjoying New Year's Eve and then suddenly we're in February. How did that happen? I mean, it reminds me of, I remember one day about a year ago, we were on the beach, me and Salome and the kids were on holiday um, close to Mossel Bay. And we were on the beach and we just got to the beach about 10 a.m. in the morning. And I thought, man, what a lovely day. And I could see some clouds on the horizon. I don't know if you've been on the beach and you see some clouds on the horizon. And you can see it's quite thunderous clouds. You can actually see the thunder on the, on the ocean. I thought, man, that's quite interesting. But it's so nice where we are at. We probably have about two, three, four, five hours before the storm hits us. About five minutes after that, I was chasing our umbrella down the beach. I don't know if that ever happened to you. It's like, I was just on the beach. I wanted to have a nice day and suddenly the wind starts blowing. And that's how I feel about this new year. I, mean, I was just, just enjoying the new year, enjoying the new century. And suddenly a storm hits. And so many people I speak to, uh, well, have spoken to over the last couple of weeks, said, Henny, I was so excited about this new century, the new year, 2020. So much prophetic word about this. But then I walked into a storm. Am I the only one? I mean, there's so many people. It's like, how did that happen? Now, that's why... I, I want to speak about this morning is who, is who is with you in the boat, in your boat. Now I want to look at two very familiar scriptures this morning. It's probably scriptures that you've read over and over and over. You've heard about it. You've read it. You've, you've heard sermons about it, probably numerous ones. But I want to ask you, maybe we can listen to the scriptures if it's for the first time this morning. Is it right? Let's, let's try that and let's trust God if he's, uh, that he speaks to us. This morning, now, I want to start out with Mark 4, verse 35, and we're going to read together. On the same day, when the evening had come, he said to them, "Let us cross over to the other side." Now, when they had the, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, because Jesus was standing on the boat and he was teaching from the boat. Okay, he was using the water as an amplifier to teach from. So he was already in the boat. They took the boat and they went to the other side. Another little boats were also following him or with them. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and he said to them, Teacher, or they said to them, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you do not have any faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Listen to this scripture. Jonah 1 verse 4 to 6. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, so there, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Think about storm that, that, that's big. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for their help, for help, and they threw the cargo overboard and lightened, to lighten the ship. But all that time, Jonah was asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him, and he said, How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. 
This is two of the well, most well-known scriptures in the Bible. I think there's even unbelievers who knows the story of Jonah more than believers. It's very well-known scriptures. So what do we have in these two scriptures? We've got two stories. We've got two storms. We've got two different purposes of causes to the storm. And we've got two men sleeping in the stern. Now my question is, to us this morning is, who is sleeping in your boat when you are going through a storm? You see, God didn't give us a storm-free life. He builds a storm-proof life into you. Because storms are coming. It can happen. If it's financial, relational, family, I mean, you can name it, storms come. So who is sleeping in your boat when storms hit? That's my question this morning. Now which storm would you rather be in of these two? See, we see a storm that was sent by God and the other that's sent by the devil. With two men sleeping at the bottom of the boat. See, which storm do you want to be in? It's a good question. See, Jonah was asleep because of depression, anxiety, fear in his life. And he was running away from God. See, some of us know that kind of sleep. You know that kind of sleep where you, you, you want a way of escape when you're struggling with anxiety. If you've ever had anxiety or depression or fear in your life, you just want to go to sleep to forget everything. You just want to get over this thing. So many people, when they fear during a challenge or a storm, they try to avoid this thing. And the more I avoid it, maybe it will go away. Does it sound familiar? See, your fear will drive us to, to do irrational things. To sell things or to run. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing what fear can do today to people. The sailors in Jonah's ship actually started throwing over the cargo. Think about, I mean, if that were gold and whatever, they just start throwing everything over so that the ship won't sink. And they started praying to any god that they hoped would save them. Even running down to Jonah and saying, what, can, what are you doing? You can't sleep in a time like this. Pray to your God, maybe He can save us. Irrational thoughts. See, fear is always trying to keep us from standing up for ourselves. Fear is keeping us from being the solution that God gave us. Or can work through us. Fear can do weird things if we let it. I remember the story of a guy who walked past a farmer sitting on his porch. Farmer, I mean, with a little grass leaf in his, in his mouth, chewing, and he's walking. He's like, hi, hi sir, how is the, how's the, the corn this year? I said, oh, I didn't plant any corn. I was too afraid of the, the drought. He said, oh, okay, so, so how's the wheat this year? He said, oh, I, I didn't plant wheat either. I was too afraid of the, the locusts. And the guy looked at him and was like, okay, um, so how about the potatoes this year? Did you plant any potatoes? He said, oh, I didn't plant potatoes anyway. It, you know, there's too much tater bucks around. And he looked at him and said, but, well, what did you plant? And he said, well, nothing. I'd rather be safe than sorry. And I read that story and I thought, I thought fear can do and reason with us in strange ways. Fear can bring us to a point where we can miss opportunities that God gave us. See, fear can bring us to a place where we should have encountered God, but we missed it because we were too afraid. You yeah. see, Jonah was living and acting from a worldly perspective. And that impacted his life with fear and unbelief. He was living from a worldly perspective. He was running from God. There was so much unbelief and fear in his life. 
He was living from a worldly perspective. Jesus, on the other hand, he was living from a kingdom perspective. And because of that, he had an impact on the world around him. See, it's a big difference in perspective. And that's what I want to give us today. From what perspective are you living from? Let's look at the story of Jesus quickly. See, the disciples got into the boat and then an unexpected windstorm hit them. Now, this was not a storm. It was defined in some translations as a squall. A squall is a, is a severe wind that hits you within seconds. It comes from nowhere. And, and if you actually go, went and read up on it and the way the low and the high temperature meet each other before hail and, and wind and snowstorms come, before that, it's a tremendous wind for about five minutes that, that, that levels everything. So this was not a normal kind of storm. See, this kind of, kind of storm uh, on such a boat that Jesus and the disciples were on had the potential to, to literally kill them. It was not the, the kind of boats we know today. It was the kind of boat that if too much waves co comes into the boat, it sinks. But, but just a couple of interesting facts about the Sea of Galilee. Do you know that the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake? Who's been there? Come on. You know. It's not a sea. It's about 21 kilometers long and 13 kilometers wide. and It's only 10 to 15 meters deep. It's a lake. It's one of the biggest freshwater lakes in that area. And, and it's actually 18 meters or 180 meters below sea level. And that's because, because of in the summer and the heat and the, the cold hit each, hit each other, there's, there's irregular storms. But the scientists, which for me is interesting, the scientist says because of the deepness of the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee, it's only 10 to 15 meters, it means that the waves can only become maximum 2 meters high. Now if you look at Jesus and the disciples and the storm they were facing, this was much higher waves. And this was not a regular storm, this was a storm sent by not a natural force. So what did the disciples do? They woke up Jesus and they talked to him. What do we do when we talk to Jesus or to God? We call it prayer. So they woke Jesus up and they shouted him, say, don't you care that we're going to perish? Does it sound familiar? Father, don't you care that, that I'm struggling and suffering? Father, don't you care that I'm struggling with my relationship, with my finances, with my children, or my health? Father, where are you if I need you? Does it sound familiar? So Jesus got up and he commanded the wind and the waves to shut up and sit still. <laughs> it's almost some translation says, it, it, it literally means shut up. His words were peace, be still. Peace, be still. Now it's important to know that, that you can only release peace over a storm you have peace in. You can only release peace over a storm you have peace in. So what are you experiencing in the storm when you're in there? Jesus had tremendous peace. He was sleeping. Because the peace he was living was bigger than the storm he was facing. See, there are so many people that are standing on the side of the boat rebuking and cursing the waves and the wind and praying and, and nothing happens. Why? Because they're still praying and ministering out of fear. Sometimes we come and we, we pray and we minister, but there's so much fear in our hearts 
But nothing happens because fear gives fuel to the enemy. So did you know that the scientists actually have proven that fear can be smelled? You can smell fear. I, we know that animals smell fear. That we know. So if you see a dog and is barking, don't fear because he can smell the fear on you. It's actually proven. But now they've proven that you can actually smell, humans can smell human fear. And, and, and it's actually not an odor you can, oh, I can smell the odor. It's something that you smell and there's receptors in your brain that, that actually start thinking fearful thoughts. Which actually is quite interesting because if you surround yourself with people that's fearing, what happens to you? You start fearing. So it's true that if, if fear can be smelled physically, how much more in the spirit? Because if you look at the scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, see, fear is a spirit. It's a spiritual force that brings you to a place. There's actually, um, it's proven that 80% of sicknesses today are caused by a root of fear. It's proven. They start fearing. Your, your acid levels in your body raise. The acid level raise. Your immune system goes down. I mean, I can go on and on. Fear causes sickness if it's prolonged. You see, fear has an odor and it keeps us from walking in faith. That's the thing. If you are in fear, you can only be in fear or in faith. You can't do both. You can't mix water and oil. You can't. You can mix it quite quick, but when you start drinking, it's already separated. And same thing with fear and faith. God has given us faith, not fear. So Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, and then what did he do? He released peace over the waves and over the wind. See, Jesus was able to release peace because he was living in peace. No, no, maybe some can say any, but that's Jesus. I say, yes, I know, but Jesus was man as much as we were. He gave up his godly divinity the day he was born to be fully man, but without sin. So he knew what to, how to live in faith, but he was as much in temptation and in the storm as we are. But still he lived more in, in peace than in fear. You see, peace in the kingdom is not the absence of something. See, for many of us, peace are the absence of noise. Peace for many of us is the absence of war. Or peace is the absence of our children not being home. Come on, moms. <laughs> That's peace for us, isn't it? But kingdom-wise, peace in the kingdom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. Peace in the kingdom is the presence of God in our lives. I've never met someone who had an absolute touch by God who did not experience absolute peace. Never. I've never met someone who just sat in worship and they can experience God and they've got so much anxiety that they know what to run to. Because when we enter into the presence of God, there is a natural peace that comes. There's a presence of someone, of the Holy Spirit. See, for many of us, we so many times miss that. We so many times miss that and we dabble or, or dribble into a place of fear 
before we get ourselves, we, we're fearing instead of, thank you, Father, for the peace that I have already. You see, peace in the kingdom is a military move from God. It's a military move. Look at Romans, Romans um, 16, verse 20. Is it on there? There we go. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will crush Satan. Paul said that because he knew that God is a God of peace. There is a military move to have peace in your life. I always say, we've got a thing in our family that says, don't lose your peace. Because if you lose your peace, you open yourself up to what the enemy wants to bring into your life. He wants to bring doubt. He wants to bring fear. He wants you to doubt what God can do in your life because you stepped out of that place of peace. Joyce Meyer wrote an incredible book, very old. It's called, it's called Living in Peace. And if you ever get hold of that book, I think it's out of print, but it's a phenomenal book of what is the power of peace in our lives. See, Jesus could only release what he has been tasting of. He's been living to such a degree from peace that that's what he can give. So you can only give what you have. You can only give what you have. If you surround yourself with people with fear, guess what they're going to give you? Fear. And I've, I had many friends. If I, if I cycle with them or spend time with them, two lines into our conversation, he would tell you, it's like, yeah, man, did you see what's happening? This calamity, that thing. It's like, oh, the coronavirus. Woo, have you bought your mask yet? It's like, oh, man, you need to get that thing. And it, it's not good for your soul. <laughs> I know we live from our spirit to our soul, but when you fill your soul up with fear, it's going to have an impact on your spirit. We always need to live from our spirit to our soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and our emotions. Our mind, will, and our emotions can't lead us. Our spirit needs to. And Jesus was led by his spirit, which was filled with peace. See, Jesus was man like, just like us, as I said, he left his divinity, he was, but he was without sin and he was God. So he came to earth to model the way for us as men. He was just as much man as we are. See, peace is one of the greatest weapons we as believers have in this life. But I don't think many believers believe that or know that. Peace is a weapon we have that we can stand on. You can either choose fear or peace. Or faith. And maybe you can ask why. It's because peace is one of the most important ingredients for faith. I remember when me and Salome were married. I think I told the story before. We, it was hectic. So we were really struggling. We've, we've been in ministry by then. And we uh, went into ministry as um, campus missionaries. We had to raise our own support to, to live in, in ministry. And, and uh, two weeks before we got married, we lost half of our supporters. <laughs> that's, that's quite a, a storm if you ask me and we had to work from a place of fear to a place of peace and faith I remember we were sitting one night and we had so much peace and, um, and we, we just experienced God and we, th we just said thank you Lord no matter how hectic it looks I think we, we, did, we couldn't pay rent we were like three months we, for three months we couldn't pay rent we couldn't buy groceries it was hectic and we were sitting at home, we, we at least had a cup of tea, you know, and, and we said, man, God is so amazing. 
We, I just experienced his peace to such a degree. And then that next day, God provided four times our salary in one moment. We could pay four months of rent. We could sow money. I mean, just from a place of peace, God provided. But see, if we were in a place of fear, looking at the impossibility more than our God, we would have missed it. You see, I've seen God do more in our lives from a place of peace than from fear and anxiety. So much more. But so many of us still, so many of Christians or believers today are still stuck in a formula religion method. We look for the formula. Does it sound familiar? I look for the formula. So if I rebuke enough or if I pray enough or if I, if I do what that guy has done because he's got success, God's going to move. But that's not what God does, does He? I remember, I don't know if you remember I, I, um, a message, I think one of our first messages this year, or well, last year, I spoke about Psalm 1 that says, He who walks, He who stands, He who sits in, a, in the council of the ungodly. But it says, But he who desires and dwells with God will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You see, it speaks about a place of rest. Not a place of, place of work or of performance. David comes and he writes a psalm, the first psalm in the book of Psalms. And he says, you can try anything you want. You can work, you can stand, you can run, you can do anything. But I want you in a place of desire. Desiring the, God, the Father. He who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I've never seen a, a tree next to a river being in anxiety. Have you seen that? Maybe a tree, tree dying, but the river is empty. See, Jesus knew he could only give away what he had. And he could only release the peace that he was living in. Then Jesus said something very strange after that. He said, so he calmed the sea and the waves and everything. <laughs> Quiet. I think it must be an amazing sight. Quiet. And then he turned to the disciples and said, don't you have any faith? Why are you so fearful? And it's like, well, wait, wait, Lord. We prayed. We asked you to intervene. You intervened. Amazing. We had faith to pray. And then he turned around and like, where's your faith? <laughs> Why are you so fearful? I mean, I would have had my hand up. I said, but Lord, didn't I come and wake you? I, went, I came to you. I prayed. I spoke to you. And still God turned around and said, why are you so fearful? Where's your faith? When we allow fear in our lives, we are agreeing with the threats of the enemy. That's what Jesus was talking about. The disciples allowed fear in their lives. They allowed fear in their lives. And in that moment when they allowed fear in their lives, they started looking at the storm more than who's sleeping in their boat. See, when the devil caused that storm, and I really believe it was, a, was not a natural storm. Why? So why do I say that? Because if you look at the chapter just after that, Jesus was on his way to free a demon-possessed man. Legion. Go and read it. Verse 35 to 38 was about the storm. 39, 40. 40 was about Jesus freeing the demon-possessed man. And the demons went into the pigs. You remember the story? What happened to that man? He went into that town and he changed the whole town. The whole town. The enemy knew that 
And he wanted to stop Jesus. He wanted to get the disciples to a place of fear, to turn around and go to the other side again, not to go to the man who was about to be released. See, the disciples agreed with fear. And the fear became bigger than Jesus and their boat. See, but when we stand in faith during, during the enemy's threat, we agree with the kingdom of heaven. It comes through an avenue of peace. So Lord, I stand in faith today. And I know it takes peace, the avenue of peace, to get into that place of faith. See, when we lose our, our peace in any storm, we give the enemy the right to play with our emotions. And it derails our faith. We, we, we've got a saying, and usually when I work with couples and with marriage counseling and done it for so many years, and I always tell couples, they come with lists this long, what the other one's doing wrong. And then I, it's like, just put your list aside. It's like, let's just start with this. There's a principle in heaven that says high emotion, low clarity. High emotion, low clarity. It means that when I'm way beyond emotions, fearful, mad, you call it whatever emotion, there is no clarity in decision making. And the decision, the, the disciples was in a place of no clarity, just fear. There was high emotion and there was low clarity. So how do we make sure that, that we stay and live from a place of peace as Christians, as believers? How do we make sure we change our perspective? We change our perspective. Remember I started, what is your perspective? A kingdom perspective or a worldly perspective? It's a very easy question. See, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Remember that? He said, he had the whole prayer, pray, but then he said, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And I've said that so many times. There's no sick people, no poor people, no depressed people in heaven. And Jesus says, your mandate as Christians and as believers is to bring heaven to earth. Because I've already paid the penalty. I've set you free. Now remember the difference between Joshua and Jesus? Oh, Jonah and Jesus? Jesus had a heaven to earth perspective. But Jonah, he had an earth begging to heaven perspective. Does that sound familiar? Oh, I've been there a lot. So many times in my life I realized that I'm begging to heaven. Yeah. Father, can you just please do this? And I think God just says, but Henry, you are son of God. You've got authority on this earth to move. There's life and death in the power of your tongue. Start speaking to the storm and get it to quiet down. Yeah. So how can we change our perspective to make sure we live in peace during our storms? It's a good question. Romans 12, 2, and you know the scriptures, another well-known scripture, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then it says, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, any transformation always starts with a mind change. What are you thinking? How are you going about thinking about the situation you're in? Because the perspective will be set by what you think about it. 
It's the greatest instrument and tool to display miracles, signs, wonders in our lives, like Jesus did, is through a renewed mind. How much is our mind being renewed in the storm? Or before the storm? Or for the storms in our lives? See, through a renewed mind, we can prove the will of God. But be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God. So what's the will of God in your life? Start renewing your mind. How do we renew our mind? You get the word in your, mind, in your heart. You start reading the word. You start confessing the scriptures of your life. If you struggle with anger or anxiety or fear, whatever you struggle with, go and find it in the scriptures. I, I went through burnout about two years ago, two and a half years ago. I went through severe burnout. I ended up in an ER um, with an EKG on my chest thinking I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm busy getting a heart attack. So much anxiety that I was shaking like whatever you, shaking like a leaf. And the doctor looked at me and he said, are you okay? Because you, your heart is 100% fine. Your blood pressure is fine. Everything is fine. Do you have stress? I said, no. I just had a two-week holiday. And I realized that I'm in a place where my adrenal glands were so depleted that I was literally falling into anxiety attacks. And in that moment, the enemy came so much and attacked me with fear, like you have no idea. Like sitting at night, my wife's being at worship practice, getting an idea in my mind that I'm going to die now. Feeling a pain in my heart. Thinking, okay, this is it. Maybe I should just leave a text message. Fearing so much. Calling my friend. Said, friend, you need to pray with me. I said, I'm feeling this. And it's like, Kenny, let me just, as we prayed, that thing lifted. So when we came back, we had communion. That thing lifted. You see, what happened? There was a mind change. There was a renewing of my mind from a place of dabbling around with emotions to moving over to my spirit is already so much more in victory over this thing. And God took me through two, year of, two years of, of training me to renew my mind on this. And so many times, any, any habitual thing in our lives, anything is a training your mind to think different than, than how God created us. Another well-known scripture is Matthew 3, uh, 6.33. We all know that. First seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything will be added to you. We all know that. He speaks about provision in your life. But the two scriptures just before that is very powerful. Verse 31 and 32. It says, so don't worry about these things saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will I do or I mean you can put anything in there. What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows what you need. Now he's talking about needs here but we can draw it out or, 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 or bring it into any scenario in your life. God knows what you need. God knows what your needs is. He knows what you are praying for in your business, in your family, in your children's lives. Whatever. But don't let the thoughts of the world dominate you. God gave us the, the, the ability and the word to take the scriptures and dominate the world with it. You see, this book is not just a book with a bunch of writing in it. Yes, it probably is. <laughs> I can tear it up and burn it and it will do nothing. But as soon as I start reading it and the scriptures become alive in my heart, something changes. 
something shifts. A mind is being renewed. Whatever we think and meditate on will determine our perspective of life. From heaven to earth. A bunch of years ago, I love this story, a bunch of years ago there was a television show, they call it Television Circus. I remember when I was a little boy, there was Television Circus. It was usually the, 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 um, the Russian circuses. Do you remember that on TV? Long time ago. But there was a story of a guy, he was, a ti- he was the trainer of the tigers. And that one night he got into this cage with the tigers and they locked the door behind him. And he had a little bit of a little kitchen chair and a whip. And the people were looking and mesmerizing how this guy could handle the tigers, like six tigers in a small little cage with one man. I mean, one tiger can take him and maul him and it will be done. But he trained the tiger, so he's in the cage, making them going through hoops, and suddenly in the middle of the show, the lights went off on the TV, and everybody, you could hear everybody's like, and for 30 to 40 seconds, it was pitch dark. And the people knew in the circus that the tigers can see in the dog. They could see him, but he could not see them. Think about that. Think about you standing in a cage with six tigers. The tigers seeing you, but you can't see them. And after 40 seconds, the lights went on, and calmly the guy went on, and he completed the show, and people clapped. It was amazing. And afterwards, they got him to, um, to do an interview, and they asked him, said, Sir, how what went through your mind and your head and your mouth? What went through you in that 40 seconds? And he said, well, I must be honest, fear gripped me. F- seriously. But then I realized that as much as the tigers can't, can see me and I can't see them, they didn't know that I can't see them. And because I know that they didn't know it, I just keep on, kept on cracking my whip and speaking to them till the lights came on. See, most of the time when we are in a storm, the enemy knows if he can shift our mind and our meditation away from God, he can change our perspective on life. He can change your perspective. But if we just keep on cracking the scriptures and speaking to our storm and speaking to our enemies, this thing needs to shift. So many times in my life I've struggled through storms and realized afterwards that my meditation and my thoughts was more under storm than under God in my boat. So many times. Even this week I had stuff that, that went off and I was like, after 10 minutes I found myself like, what am I doing? And I just took, took a step back. I realigned my thoughts and my peace and I just went on. And it was much better. You see, my perspective shifted from heaven to earth, away from earth begging to heaven. Father, when are you going to come through? Aren't you, aren't you caring that we're going to perish? How many times have we prayed, prayed that prayer before? Lord, aren't you care that I, don't, I can't buy food for my family or, or I don't have a home to live in or, or, or I haven't got a raise in five years at my job? Father, where are you? I've prayed that so many times. (laughs) But see, if you are born again, it means that Jesus is sleeping in your boat. That means that you have a divine purpose. You have a divine purpose. The day you said, Father, not my will, your will be done. 
Will you come and be part of my life? He stepped onto your boat. That means that we have a divine purpose. Each and every one of us have a divine purpose in this life. We have an assignment from heaven. No matter if you feel it or not. There's so many people's, people I prayed before. I see miraculous miracles in their lives and I haven't felt anything. But I was obedient. Because I know the, the character of my God. I know the character of my God. We see, we only have authority over the storm we can sleep in. How much do you see yourself in a place of authority in what you believe, in what your perspective is, and who God is in your life? See, our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. To bring heaven to earth. If you are saved, born again, that you can bring heaven to earth. Live from a heavenly perspective. See, sometimes I can walk past people without slapping them with the Bible and preaching to them and prophesying. I can walk by and put my hand and it's like, hey my friend, how are you doing? Man, it's good to see you. Wow, man. Let me just give you a hug. That is more bringing heaven to earth than sometimes anything else. See, God is a God of love, a God of peace. I love it sometimes. I come to people, they call me and they are fearful beyond measure. And I come to them and say, please, you just need to come and pray with me. The first five minutes I come, it's like, just, man, how are you doing? You are so amazing. Man, don't worry about this. Have coffee. So what do I do? I intentionally focus to bring the anxiety down to a place of peace. Luckily, I studied sports psychology. <laughs> so I know a lot of what anxiety and fear does to our rational thinking. To get our thinking away from rational, irrational thoughts to a place of, Father, I just need you. I can't see it. I don't know how you're going to do it. But your word says in Hebrews 11 verse 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But we want to see first and then want to trust God. But God says, I just want you to trust me. I have this. I've got this. I'm in the boat with you. But see, if you want to have authority over your storm, it happens from a place of rest. Do you know that it was our first assignment as human beings on earth? Was to rest. On the sixth day, God created man in his image. And he said to him to rule and reign over the fish of the sea. You know all the story. Sixth day. What happened on the seventh day? God says, let's rest. Let's rest. Let's just enjoy our rest for a bit. What was the first assignment for men? Yes, go and rule and reign, but let's just rest first. If we can't function out of rest and out of peace, we are begging from earth to heaven. We're not living heaven to earth. And it's not a performance thing. It's not a work thing. It's not a weird kind of religious thing. No. It's a basic principle of perspective in the Bible. See, if you can't have peace in a storm, find others with peace. That helped me so much. If I can't find peace in my storm, I don't even see Jesus in, in my boat. I find others around me to, to help me to find my peace in the storm. And it saved me through my life. I remember when I was 22 years old, I was in the Olympic team going to Olympic Games in Sydney, I think 2000. And I got kicked out of the team because of a lot of stuff. 
and political stuff. And I was broken. I was, I was done for my sandcastle I'd built for five years of my life to go to the Olympic Games. That was my dream. It came down in one second. And I tried everything to fill the gap. Drinking, ugh, a lot of stuff. And I had three friends in my life. Still my friends today. They're living all over the world though, but they're still my friends today. They called me up and said, we want to see you ASAP now. It's like, I'm a bit hangover, but I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> and they sat me down and said, Henny, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. Where are you going? And they came and they established peace in my life in that moment from a place of fear, anxiety, depression, that I was running from to everything except God. And in that moment, I needed that three friends in my life who saved my life. All in ministry today. We need friends in our lives. We need people in our lives that can help us restore peace. When we are facing a storm, you see, we as, I don't know about the other cultures in South Africa, but the Afrikaans culture is a very pr a br proud culture. We don't want to ask. We want people to see if we're struggling and then ask and then we'll like, yeah, okay, maybe, yeah, I'm struggling. We need to get off the proud horse and get into the place where we can embrace the friendships and people in our lives, learn from the cultures around us in South Africa and get God to intervene through people around us. That's why we need church. That's why we need people around us where you have family that can look after you, pray with you, cry with you, laugh with you. That's why it's so necessary to have family. See, don't let the enemy catch you out with fear and anxiety. It's his way. Why do you think a Sangoma is fearful? They look all this hair and all these things because they want to strike fear in your heart. Where there's fear in your heart, they can curse you. I've, I spoke to a Sangoma that was saved. <laughs> a witch doctor. They said, Henny, our biggest... Enemy, or our biggest weapon that we have is fear. If I can spike or strike fear in people's hearts, I have them. And I can curse them. I can say anything to them. You see, that's why fear is the enemy's number one weapon. But God came and He conquered that 2,000 years ago. He gave us peace. He gave us rest. And He changed our perspective. He gave us a mandate to step out and bring heaven to earth. Loving our children, teaching them the ways of not fearing. God is in control. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with us this morning. Yeah, Father, we thank you this morning that, that we can declare that fear is a tool of the enemy. But still, you created us with emotions, Father. And so many times we fall under this pressure to fear more than we have faith. But Father, I pray that this morning, as, I, as I'm praying right now, that you setting people free from anxiety, free from fear and a storm in their lives. If you are here this morning and you really experience, man, I don't know how to get out of the storm in my life. Don't you just put your hand on your heart, just where you are. Father, I, I know that you see every heart here today. Father, you know that, that, that you've set us free so many, so many years ago. 
when you died on that cross, when you conquered death, that we do not have to step into a place of fear and doubt where the enemy can do whatever they want with us. But we are created to stand in faith and in peace. Father, I pray that you restore peace in hearts today. People with their hands on their hearts right now that, that you will come Holy Spirit and you restore peace. No matter how big the financial need is, no matter how big the relational need is, no matter how big the storm is that we are facing right now, Father, I thank you that you're restoring our birthright. When you walked out of, or stepped off of that cross, or stepped out of that grave, restored us to a place of peace. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.